week, we're actually finishing up our series in the life of Hosea. Um, I told you last week that with, his, with these prophetic books, there's so much detail, I'm not trying to paint the entire portrait. I'm trying to paint in, in broad strokes. Um, we've seen throughout this series the great love of God for his people as a husband should have for his wife. A love that, that never quits no matter what we may do, no matter how we feel, it's always there. But one thing that's always amazed me about the Bible is that the way it foresees issues in the lives of the treaters. Um, in the book of John, chapter 20, you have the story of Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas, who, who said, I'm not going to believe unless I get to put my hand in his side and I get to touch the nail holes. And so Jesus shows up and, and Thomas believes without ever having to touch because he sees. And it's placed right there in this story directly before John's statement of the purpose of his gospel. Is there in verses 30 and 31 of John, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, which may believe you may have life in his name. The Greek here literally says to keep on believing. And so God knew way back then that there are going to be times where we come to a point and we live in a society where it's going to tell you, well, that can't be true. And these are written so that you can keep on believing. God foresees what's going to happen, and he puts those in his word. There's a story of doubt there before the story of a purpose to keep on believing. There's the reason given. So in Hosea so far, God has used the image of a husband and wife to display his love for his people. But what about those people who've never been married? What about those people who have bad marriages? What about those who can't understand this relationship at all? It amazes me that God in his wisdom changes gears and metaphors and begins to talk about his love in a different way. A way that everyone can have some grasp of. I'll be honest, um, this was probably the hardest sermon for me. Uh, it took me a long while to find my points. And, and nothing was coming. And try as I might, these points just wouldn't come to me. Then God revealed something to me. You can't find the points because it isn't as much about the points as it is about the story. So this morning's sermon isn't as much about the points as it is the story. Now, you may not have a lot of noteworthy things to write down. Maybe you never do. I don't know. But it may not feel like a sermon at times. But what it will be is the story of God's love for us. With that in mind, turn with me now to Hosea chapter 11. So we're skipping over eight chapters to chapter 11. <clears throat> and it starts with a very well-known verse in the Bible, but half of us really didn't know it probably came from here. But it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they departed. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and bringing offerings to idols. It was I who taught him from the walk, taking him in my arms. But they never knew that I healed them. I led them with human cords with ropes of love. To them I was like one who eases the yoke from their jaws. I bent down to give them food. Israel will not return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria will be its king, because they refuse to repent. A sword will whirl through the cities. It will destroy and devour the bars of his gates because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning from me. Though they call to him on high, he will not exalt them at all. How can I give you up, Israel? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. 
I will not vent the full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. The Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will be roused like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And then they will, I will settle them in their homes. This is the Lord's declaration. Ephraim surrounds me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit. Judah still wanders with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would just take this time, Father, use it for your glory. Use me of the best of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for all the words of your scripture. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all of God's people say, all the joys of parenting. In the past few months, if, if you're my friend on Facebook or Carrie's friend on Facebook, you've probably been overwhelmed with pictures and videos of the many tricks of Asher. You've seen him begin laughing. You've seen him begin sitting. You've seen him begin crawling. And soon you'll probably see him start walking. This chapter starts much of the same way. The remembrances of God and his relationship with his people. The feelings that he had. The accomplishments of his children. The love that he's poured out. Parents in the room, do you remember that first time you looked into the face of your child? The first time you saw their eyes? The first time you held them, fed them, rocked them. You remember the overwhelming feeling of love and protectiveness that occurred in that moment? I remember it was Shiloh. Because with Shiloh's case, it was, it was wholly different. He was eight weeks early. He spent five weeks in the NICU. There was, he came out and it was two and a half weeks before we could touch him. And so there was this, all at once, something changes. That's, that's the beginning of Hosea. That's that picture. That's what's going on. That God deals with and feels for his people like a parent for their child. When Israel was a child, I called him. I loved him. God has created Israel out of nothing. as a protective measure. He had orchestrated for Israel to end up in Egypt. Can you imagine that? Israel ends up in Egypt, the place of their bondage, out of protection by God. God sent them there because they were going through a rough time back over here. So God put them over here so they could thrive in this place. God put them there for a reason. And that's why they were there. God had taken care of them. He had orchestrated all this. Then, as an expression of his love, while Israel was still in the toddler stage, he rescued them from the pit that Egypt had become. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I taught them to walk. I led them. I healed them. The best picture here is like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed him. I bent down to care for him. I bent down to be there for them and to be their leader. Here in Hosea 11, we see a picture of the joys of parenting that God feels. And those of us who are parents, we know those joys. We know those highs. We know those times when, 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 the, when the kid looks at you and says the right thing and does the right thing and, and loves on you and, and does the things that they're supposed to do. We understand that. This was a love here that was fierce and complete. 
the joy of holding that child and watching as he grows. But there are two sides to parenting, right? There's the joy. There are all the things that, that, that happen that, that make you just overwhelmed and, and, and bubble over with all the affection and all the happiness and all the other things that are going on. There's that joy. But just like a parent for a child, God must deal with the frustrations of raising an independent child. You ever get frustrated with your kids? Kids are perfect, right? They never do anything wrong. They always do everything right. Man, I'm glad everybody knows I was being sarcastic, but God would have struck me down. <laughs> kids can be a problem, right? We, they're among the joy of parenting. There is the heartbreak of knowing that your kids are going to do things that you don't want them to do. In a mix with this joy, we find a little frustration, a little heartbreak, because sometimes there are lessons that must be learned that can only be learned through error and mistake. Sometimes there are lessons that we can't teach our children because we can say it all we want to. We can talk until we're blue in the face, and they're just not going to hear it until they experience it. But it also goes the other way with parents, for us, when Shiloh was born, there was a little bit of carry training in our house. Um, she waited 10 years, haven't they? And so Shiloh was, as Asher is now, was one to pull on and chew on cords. <coughs> and Carrie would swoop in and mother the boy. I looked at her one day and I said, Carrie, you can't do that. She said, why? Well, I said, because that cord is danger. And right now, he thinks, if you chew on the cord, Mama comes and loves on me and kisses me. Here he had to learn we had to swat a hand. We had to swat a bottle. We had to do something to, to make him realize this isn't something that you should do. Consequences are sometimes the only way people learn. We don't like hearing that. Because we want to think that our kids are better at this than we are, right? Because I know lots of things my parents told me, you shouldn't do that. And I still did it. Because I had to learn. I had to walk that road. And God is looking at Israel, and he's telling them, I mean, if you're following along in the words with us in our Bible readings, you hear God saying to them, these are the things that you need to do. And if you do these things, you're going to be blessed. And it's going to be wonderful. And you're going to live a long time in the land. And it's going to be something that's so amazing. And people will know that I am God. And they will know that you are mine. And, and nobody will come against you. And things are just going to overflow. And it's going to be wonderful. But if you don't, it's going to be bad. And one of the things that I pointed out here a few days ago was that the blessings that God talked about was like 15 verses. And the curses he talked about were like 65 verses. Because not that he was just going to curse you more, but that there was more to what was going to happen. You would experience it in a wholly different way. Because we experience the negative for some reason so much more than we experience the positive. We can have the best day ever and we don't let it amount to the worst day ever. 
Because it, it can be just a little bit every day and it's the worst day ever. I don't know how many times I've heard that in the past two weeks. It's been the worst day ever, Dad! Sorry. And then we come to those preteen and teenage years here in Hosea 11. You know, there comes a point when what worked on a toddler doesn't work anymore. And God is looking at these people. There, <laughs> there's that time when teenagers begin to become adults and start to press on their boundaries. Right? That's real. I'm going to press my boundaries just a little bit. And many times, those seem to be the most heartbreaking years of a parent's life because when they are pushed, they begin to push back. They begin to follow things that you don't approve of. They begin to live their lives in their own way. That's what God's talking about here in Hosea 11. Israel, I brought them out. I loved them. I cared for them. I healed them. I gave them everything. But still, they ran after someone else. But still they went and did the things that I told them they shouldn't do. Still, they made these choices. And they went places that I don't want them to go. And they did things that I don't want them to do. And they continued to do those things. And there they were. And, and that's, the, that's the years we see. The more they were called, the more they went away. The more their friends pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, can you come do this? The more the teenager wants to go, Mom, can I go? The more the Baals called to them, the more the people around them, the culture called to them, the more they went. You know, the quickest way sometimes to get a teenager to do something is to tell them not to do it. I don't know why that is. I think it's human nature. We're all that way. Don't do that. It must be fun. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just hurt. And sometimes, sometimes we've experienced it and we've gone through it. Here we see God standing with his arms outstretched, calling to Israel, but they continue to walk farther away. There's a memory that I have of Shiloh when he was Asher's age, and he had learned to crawl. And Carrie was calling him. And he would crawl a couple of feet, and she'd call him, and he'd look over his shoulder and smile, and crawl away some more. Look over his shoulder and smile, and he'd crawl away some more. That's the picture here. God's calling to Israel, just come back. Come do. Come do what you need to do. You'll be blessed. And, and Israel keeps walking away. The more he called and provided, the more they denied it and walked away. In true preteen fashion, Israel had become too cool to be kissed by his mom or dad in front of the other kids. So, I have a kid going through that right now. Dad's still bigger. So I'm so good. We get there, right? We, you know, all the I, I went through it. There was a time when no mama don't kiss me in front of in front of my friends. It's the one thing probably in my life that I regret. That was a moment that I said, "My mom don't kiss me." Now that my mom is not here, I wish I would have never done that. But Israel's become that preteen. Israel's become that child who says, "Well, I want to belong to God when it's good for me." But, uh, you know, who's that one? You know, that's, that's my dad. 
<laughs> that's that's our God. He's, he's a little different. The heartbreak in this story is that God knows full well what will happen to Israel. He knows the trouble that exists. He knows where they could end up. And he knows that no matter how much he tries to protect them, they're still going to choose their own way. You ever been there, parents? You see the trouble coming. You know it's right there. But no matter how much you say there's trouble, they're going to go that way. That's, that's where God's at. And so, <laughs> there's this parental dilemma that happens. How many parents have ever been at that throw up your hands, I give up point? <laughs> give up! I'm done! I can't speak to this anymore because I want the lying to stop. I want the crying to stop. Whatever the behavior is that continues to happen, I just want it to stop. God knows the road that Israel is on. He knows what's happening. He sees what's coming. He knows what destruction is in store. He knows according to his own law, destruction is coming. And then God hits his parental dilemma. Do I allow my child to do these things that would bring destruction or do I save them? God's biggest frustration is knowing that our failures, what they will be in allowing us to make our mistakes. Love isn't control. Love isn't control. God could say, I'm going to make you do this, but he doesn't. God says, I'm telling you, this isn't good for you. He's torn here between the frustration and the anger he feels in an ungrateful child and the overwhelming love he has for that child whom he raised and taught and led. <laughs> There's this... <laughs> Struggle between punishment and love. You ever been there? A may or may not have said in the middle of Walmart one time, if you don't stop it, they're going to call CPS on me. A may or may not have said that. I mean, that's just that's where we're at. There's that struggle, and God's struggling with that here in Hosea 11, right? As he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, and he's so afraid, he's so frustrated, he's so upset. But at the same time, because he goes, a sword's going to come through here. It's going to destroy it. It's going to bar the gates. It's going to do all these things because you keep turning from me. And then he says, but how? How can I give you up? How? How can I give up Ephraim? How can I surrender Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I make you like I have a, I have had a change of heart. I had a change of heart. I can't. My compassion is tough. I'm not going to come at you with the anger I can come at you with. The greater story here is that this struggle is not confined for his love for Israel alone. Remember that John 3.16 I talked about a while ago? For God so loved the world. God loves us all. And he looks at us and he sees all of these things. 2,000 years ago, in the midst of heartache and frustration, God also felt tremendous love for a sinful people. And he knew that punishment was what we deserve. He knew it. Punishment is what we deserve. You ever been there? You know punishment is what you deserve? You know that, man, I should have never done it. He knew that 
would put us in dangerous and unsavory places. He knew that his holiness cried out for punishment, but he thought, my love is greater. My love is greater. I love the world. I love Israel. How can I hand them over? How can I do that? In the beginning of time, God knew who it would be, and he made a plan. Can you imagine that? He knew the mistakes you were going to make. He knew the times you were going to walk away. He knew when you were going to say no. He knew when you were going to do all of these different things, and he still made a plan that rather than judgment, he was going to show compassion. Rather than anger, he was going to show love. But he said, for I am God and not a man. It's the thing as we think. It isn't love like we love. Rather than destroy the cities of Israel again, he would call them back. And the same message is true for us today. Although you may deserve everything the world's going to throw at you, God has another plan. We live in a world who's going to throw lots of stuff at you. It's going to come at you faster than you know what to deal with. You're going to look at it and you're going to go, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. I can't put up with this anymore because there's too much stuff coming. It's just piling one on top of the other and I don't see a way out. And the world's going to throw it and the world's going to make you think that you don't deserve it. And it's going to make you think that you can't have it and that you're alone and you're going to struggle by yourself. And the world's going to tell you that. But God doesn't say that. God says, I have another plan. I have a plan to prosper you. I have a plan to bring you into greater things. I have a plan to put things back together. I have a plan to make it to where you are in a place where you never mentioned, even thought about being. Although death should be ours, he offers life. He doesn't come to destroy. He comes to save and to gather. The story of Hosea is the story of God who loves his people more fiercely than we could ever imagine. And he gives us this look into the life of this prophet and all the things he asked him to do so that we can understand that his love is like no other. The book of Hosea speaks to me because like I said last week, we read it and we want to be Hosea, but we're going there. We run after all the wrong things. And the world wants to sell us cheap on the block. And God says, no. I'll pay everything so that you can be free. But God's grace doesn't just mean you get into heaven. It means that your life is not what it what the world tells you it is. Maybe this morning you have been struggling in a place that you never thought you would be. 
it's amazing that it only takes a few steps to be somewhere you didn't think you needed to be. You ever made a wrong turn and suddenly you're in the wrong part of town? It happens that way in life, right? Maybe it's time that you say, okay, God, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Sorry. Forgive me. I repent of the things that I've been doing. I am yours and yours alone. Maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe today maybe you've been feeling unloved. It's easy to feel that way in this world, right? Like I don't get the things that I want. That life is hard. Does God really love me? You're loved. You're loved more than you could ever imagine. And God wants great things for you. Maybe this morning, you just want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken a step to say, I want to know Him. I want to be His. I want to be free from all this stuff in the past. Now the time you walk the aisle to Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus and we'll go from there. Wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.